Yeah, it's very difficult. That is a lovely... Do you know what? I think we're going to keep that in the podcast, that the first words her are just Izzy swinging on a chair going, yeah, it is very difficult. So <laughs> That's the, my uh, new catchphrase. Yes, uh, <laughs> as a writer, I must say that it is very difficult. As a working mother and a creative <laughs> bohemian, it's very difficult. You are definitely available for stock cube commercials with that kind of attitude, aren't you? The, uh, um, so, uh, hello, this is Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Hello. And that's Josie. And hello. you've already heard, is it? That's double Josie. She's been into a transmogrifier and split into two. Um, and we're joined by uh, Izzy Sutty, the uh, author, comedian and uh, woman. Uh, broadcaster. <laughs> broadcaster. I want, so what you to say broadcaster. <laughs> we do normally say broadcaster, so we'll do that again. Uh, we're joined by the uh, author, comedian and broadcaster, Izzy Sutty. Um, Izzy, as a, a working mother and a writer... No, we're not going to answer that. The, um, so you're, we'll start... That was a great impression, Robin. I don't know who it's of, but it's an impression, definitely. It's a good impression. <laughs> I like doing impressions. Me too. It's fun, isn't it? It's a waste of everyone's good My time. My latest one is is a witch, an old witch... Yes, yes. Oh, because my because before that you had nineteen uh, forties going towards nineteen fifties. Oh, somewhere yeah. between Barbara Stanwyck and uh, yeah, there's there's that. Yeah. that do one. you remember the low status Irish woman that you used to do <gasps> as a result of my play about Imber, the yes. village that got um, it, it got taken over by the military and written oh. off maps. How did you do it? Was like, I'll just go. You could do. I'll, I'll just go into the corner. I'll just have. Don't worry about me. I'll have dry water, just a dry glass of water. Let the men have the food. <laughs> oh, that is that is very uh, Beckety as well. Though. Yeah, There's it a is. A little bit of that kind of, you know, the the, the, the sad lady's voice. They am saying. Yeah, and we do a voice that's also a bit like, um, mums on holidays. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just having a coffee. <laughs> I didn't even have chocolate on my cappuccino. <laughs> I won't resist and I can't resist a cheeky pinot gris. So, welcome to Voice Work Module 3, Beginnings for Actors. But Izzy's was the- a bit sadder. Mine was like more brazen because mine had already had three glasses of wine. Yeah, mine was like going through a divorce, I think. Oh, yeah. so all of the supposed joy, the cappuccino joy, was, was merely the froth was masking uh, a deep, deep melancholy. Yes, Robin, what a great metaphor. That is a brilliant metaphor. You are a very good writer. We'll talk about your book first of all, actually, which starts off like a really cold version of Jaws, uh, in which you remove your long johns and go skinny dipping uh, while everyone doesn't even look on, but just kind of goes, oh, no. She's doing that again. I think some of them didn't even notice that I'd gone. And it was freezing. So it was Wales on New Year's Day, if I remember right. And... um, it was like the freezing sea, and I just—it was like, yeah, it just been one of those holidays where I felt a bit um, lost, I suppose, and like, yeah, well, that's kind of the theme of the book in a way, isn't it? That thing of feeling out of kilter with everyone, and I did feel like everyone wanted different things from me, and I was single, and they weren't, and it was all a bit like, if I do this, it'll jumpstart everything, and everything will be okay. I think I'm quite prone to doing that, like doing one big grand gesture and hoping that it all. It doesn't, it doesn't it often work. It does sometimes, but it doesn't often work. Yeah, there is a real sense, even though it, it's not underlined in any way, that sense of, aren't we having a great time? Yeah. I'm having a great time. Yeah. I'm having was... a great time. And what had happened on that holiday, and I don't think I put this in the book, and this made me really sad, was that I said to my friend Mark, who I was on holiday with, 
on the New Year's Eve. I said, this is one of the best nights of my life. And he said, you always say that. Ooh. And it really, really stung because I thought, oh, maybe I do always say that. And maybe I actually don't have a great time. And Or you, what he, I think, feel like what it's almost him saying, I don't enjoy my life as much as you do. Possibly, or I know you better than you, you think oh, I do. Like, there's God. a lot of stuff going on. And it, he's a really good mate. It wasn't, he didn't mean it horribly, but it was just one of those moments that you go, for me, it was really important to always be able to go, oh, everything will be okay if we just drink loads and, yeah. oh, and it, let's smoke fads and let's have a party. And then when someone goes, you always say that, it's like, oh, oh. Could you have written yeah. this book? Do you think if you were still in that, did it require because you are uh, no, you're no longer single and you you know you're, like, you're hugely successful as well in terms of both in acting and stand up, all of these different things. That's um, the nicest thing you've ever said. I'm waiting for the catch with you. <laughs> no, I'm never. I'm never cruel to you. You always presume it's cruel. You always are. every year that we've ever done shows together. You always say this is the worst night of my life, and I turn to you and go, "You always say that." But I suppose the and difference between your earlier story is you really do mean it's the worst guy for life. <laughs> Wasn't it me you? who nearly got you married to Jim Bob? Okay, fair enough, he was married, that would never happen. Wasn't it me who delightfully kept stirring the fact that when you were backstage with a person who had been your icon as a teen, that, <laughs> I'm going to say how much you wanted to kiss him when you were 18. And that really helped, you weren't embarrassed oh, by yeah, that. It you made it into hide. the best night of my life. <laughs> <laughs> But when I first met Jim Bob, because uh, I, he had been such an idol when I was um, when I was a kid, really, I said to Gavin Osborne, "I'm going to ask him if he wants a coffee." And he went, I, "I think he's got a coffee. I don't think he needs one." And I went up and I said, "Do you want anything from Pret?" And Jim Bob went, "No." And then I said really aggressively, "I'm getting you a coffee." <laughs> yeah. How much do you hang out now? A bit. Well, we both live in Crystal Palace. So, he's so gentle. Yeah. You deliberately he? moved to Crystal Palace to be near a gym, Bob, even though you have a partner and a child. I moved to Upper Norwood, so it didn't look too stalkery. He lives in Crystal Palace. <laughs> he's got a lovely, a lovely wife and a lovely daughter, and then it's just a, a bit weird to have to have met someone. It doesn't often happen that your nineties heroes you actually get to meet and go I'm on a bill with them I can't believe it. it's a really to... weird sorry Josh. no no but you have to just spend the whole time being like play it cool don't let them know but then even the act of doing that means that you come across as this jittery weirdo who's really like oh hi yeah I'm not gonna I don't, I don't care about the fact that you did stuff we're just two friends aren't we yeah. oh, I, imposter syndrome the whole time you know, the, the number of people that I've worked with quite a lot. And to be honest, Josie, I'm, I still feel very embarrassed with you. And, uh, you know, I've just gone, oh, I'm working with Josie Long. And no, but that bit where there are no, people don't. where you do... Uh, no, I'm very happy to be working with you. Um, uh, if we can count this as work. Uh, this ridiculous but joyful frippery. Um, but I was... Uh, that the, the What I think is lovely sometimes is backstage when certain kind of acts, bands or people who've been tremendously successful and who we've got all the records of it, you sometimes think, oh, I think they're being a bit offish. Like they're looking going, oh, what am I doing in this green room? And then later on you find out they're actually standing there going, oh, I can't believe there's so many people from Radio 4 panel shows here. And you find out that these people that you've seen at Brixton Academy or whatever it is are actually there going, oh, she was on just a minute and, and he's guested on. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And it's a really fascinating, you know, when, when oh, yeah, I just find that. Weird. No, but, I think you're right. And I think especially with stand-up, like um, I did an episode of Rabsy Nesbitt a few years ago and Gregor Fisher, who plays Rabsy Nesbitt, was obviously he's an incredibly successful actor and, and, and totally brilliant. And he was like, he found out I did stand-up and he was just like, 
I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I can do it. And I was like, God, that's the thing. You, with stand-up, I think often it's it, people go, they can they just sort of go, I, don't, I actually don't know how you do it. It has such a strange cultural place, especially in Britain. It's so, we're so lucky that for whatever reason, I think people respect it more than. Yes, I'm sure in not every country they're like, I don't know how you can do it. Or they do in a different voice. Yeah, they're like, this guy, oh my God, he doesn't have the nerve to be a chicken farmer. So he talks in front of strangers, you know, which is about chickens. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of, I mean, that bit, because to, to some people it's witchcraft. And then to other people, it is kind of, oh, that's what you do, because they sure. presume you're exactly the same as the worst thing they've ever seen on television, yes. which hopefully wasn't actually you being on television. Um, <laughs> yes. The uh, I, I was just Having I, a good gig on television. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, the best gig <laughs> you've ever had. <laughs> There's a book called Hellraisers. Uh, I think it's Robert Sellers, which is about, who is it? It's Richard Harris, Oliver Reed, Peter O'Toole and Richard Burton. Wow. And what's quite interesting about that, again, is that mixture of, in one way, to some people, they go, oh, Wow, the witchcraft of, for instance, being a famous actor in this case. And yet for a lot of those people, when you read the book, you think, wow, their hell-raising life is down to the fact that they're thinking, we don't have a real job. Mm. We put on voices. And, you know, Richard Burton really wanted to be an academic. That's what he would love to have been, a professor at Oxford. Whereas, you know, O'Toole, Oliver Reed, you can imagine, you know, what they'd really like to do is just professionally wrestle and box. But instead, they're there. So they drink until they've got vodka crystals on their spine. Well, hang on, I have two things to say about this. Firstly, I think, especially in the 60s, it must have felt to them as very kind of masculine men that they weren't proper men at all because they, you know, they didn't have a proper trade and they weren't properly, like, yeah, like big professionals. But two, what do you mean vodka crystals on the spine? Well, I think Richard Burton, there was a point where his, his drinking, he, it was actually alcohol crystals were uh, developed on, on, on the spine. There's wow. a really it's an intriguing thing in the book, and there's I mean there's also the, his his diaries are very interesting as well. I mean I've, you know Richard Burton obviously many people are fascinated by him because there's such beauty there, and then also this kind of awful torrid and and you know get, getting caught up in this this fascination with just fur coats and jewels and the largest bottles of champagne. But he once he gave up drinking or cut down drinking. Whereas before, him and Liz Taylor had been able to drink these Jeroboams of champagne, just drink and drink and drink. Suddenly, it would only take two glasses of wine, and that would it. He, he would flip. So when they were making things like the Wild Geese, where you had Richard Harris as well, and it was like, right, you are banned uh, for you mustn't drink. The, that, that's the contract because it just. It, but th- those books are. I used to kind of enjoy reading them a bit, and now I just find that level of of, of tragedy pointless tragedy well, well don't you think it's because you're a bit older like i think when i was younger i would have preferred like to read those more because it's like wow but you know you sort of think they're a bit cool and now i sort of go yeah you oh. go they're 55 that's sad yeah it's like i remember when i like I, when i used to go out um you know to nightclubs and stuff when I, I remember being out when i was about 20 in sheffield and there being this sort of 50 year old guy with us he was like it was fine it wasn't it wasn't dodgy but we were all like 20 22 and then we all ended up like going back to a party and he was there to sort of and he was like oh i've got work in the morning you know and it just sort of felt a bit like ah, i don't think i want to be doing that when i'm and he was wearing a fur coat as well which is a bit weird it's, yeah, a, it's a bizarre because there seems to be a clash to me of that bit of hey you don't have to grow up you can still you know be, but I think you can be excited by life without necessarily believing that being alive is defined by being 19 years old yes and, yeah and that's the uh, actually that was what that was what I 
wanted to talk about a bit in the book that to me I think my sense of being alive is now more to do with retaining curiosity about things and remaining open-minded about things I, I think what sometimes happens if, if you're not careful is everything just narrows a bit and you sort of go I've got enough friends thank you very much I've got 49 and yeah. I've got all different nationalities and and then um, <laughs> if I want to know how to make a, th- a Thai curry I can ring someone so I kind of think um now for me it's about uh I, I thought when I had a child that I, I was scared that I would become more boring in inverted commas um but I think what's happened is I am still the same person of course you get less time to yourself and of course you fall completely in love with your child and I can see some people's eyes glaze over when I show them the 16th photo of her in a slightly different position from the 15th but I I also think that hopefully I've not closed off to 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 what I used to be and and it isn't so much for me now about going I'm going to get absolutely wasted and I'm going to like you know I'm going to go and do tequila shots off a skip I'm going to I'm going to um You lived a pretty amazing life, didn't yeah, you? Did, in you did, you know. Lock. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, I hope that you still have that you know what I would imagine is you show pictures of your baby, but the old Izzy is still there cuz sometimes you show pictures of that poo that shot out of its bottom and and hit the window because that does happen. And yes. uh, that bit, and you and you go. So they're going. Oh, oh, oh my God! Yeah, and it was just. It, I don't think well, and just shot out, and it's everywhere. Yeah, because you don't have a love us. of some of the, some of the more grotesque stories you told me. I, and I, I was tell, me and Josie just got the tube, and I told her a story about poo and uh, one story about poo and another one about farts. Oh, and the farts! God, I really, really love. Um, still, I'm totally fascinated by. Poo and farts. It's and, not my um, sense of humour, yeah. but <laughs> you did abide the story very well. Though. I seem to tell. I seem to have a lot of stories that involve mishaps around menstruating, which I didn't expect, and I think I was too scared to. But I seem to have a lot of anecdotes recently of like when this happened. But is, do you do them on stage? Because was... I think that's the because that's in, when I've been doing the live show of the book. Mm-hmm. There are some bits that I don't want to read out because they are. There's actually not very much to do with poo in the book, is there? But there's a, a bit to do with like, a, there's a bit of stuff about sex and stuff about. It's basically all the stuff that there's goes on when you're well, a human being. Yeah, yeah, a bit. In fact, there were too, too, too many stories about sick, and the editor told me I had to take two out. Did you have the one the where Virginia Woolf often had shoe? a similar problem? No, that had to come out. Oh. Yeah, but just <laughs> having them vomiting on the way to the lighthouse. <laughs> the Bible as well. They had to, oh. had to take out loads of stuff about. Sick. Jesus just vomiting in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the. <laughs> Your, that that first story you had uh, about menstruating was in stand up a few years ago. That was with, a real with, game changer. Was brilliant, and it was because I was doing a thing for Action Aid the other day, and they've been doing a campaign, Menstruation yes. Matters, uh, which have a look. And they're, they're doing a couple of things. They're also doing a, a campaign about FGM as well. And and I said when I was doing the stand up, I said, you know, who you should have had here. I said, because you actually, because I've got very little that was specific. Well, it's one of those things where you don't have to do specific stand-up relevant to the topic. Uh, but I had nothing. But Apart from the, the time that once where uh, I found my mum's tampons in the airing cupboard and uh, I went, oh, brilliant, I don't know what these are, but this will make a fantastic silencer for the toy gun I've just made. I was running around with it and then my sister said that wasn't a good idea. 
<laughs> but that's, I mean, quite... There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're just using them for a different... Yeah. If anything, it's like the stigma around... That. But I, I, I've had a really weird experience with suddenly... Because t- I, basically, I told a story on stage in my show, Cara Josephine, which is available to purchase on DVD from SohoTheatre.com. And um, <laughs> it's just coming out now. And you should have done that in the in the middle-aged divorcee voice. Uh, yeah, yeah so hang on. So I, d- I did a story in Cara Josephine. Which we, if you want to buy it, just go <laughs> to you know, SohoTheatre.com. Woo! Anyway, <laughs> but the thing is, I all my life, so since starting stand-up at like 14, 15, all my life I'd had people tell me off because women comedians only talked about periods and sex and I'd never talked about it because partly because I just hadn't wanted to talk about it and partly I think because I'd felt really like oh I mustn't therefore talk about these things of my experience because if I do I'm a grotesque and I'm doing this that the other Mm. and then I think I wanted to write this show about love and about relationships and I had this anecdote about someone doing a very sassy thing when there was a mishap, basically. And I just felt really brazen about it. I suddenly felt like I'm allowed to talk about anything in my experience if I fancy it and it's worth it. And it's really weird because even us just having this chat here, I can feel myself thinking, pardon me, oh God, I can imagine men listening to this and feeling uncomfortable or whatever. That's all on me, but it's like... The amount of stigma and strangeness. Yeah, I think the problem I... is probably that Joyce Grenfell, all her menstruation <laughs> routines, George. They, they set the bar. <laughs> George, don't. I've got my. You know, it was very. Uh, but that, that's yeah, that's and. Uh, it's been a very. It's not true. It's a weird thing because I saw loads of stand up when I was fifty during what would have been meant to be the pinnacles of women banging on about the bloody curse, um, and. There wasn't, you know, French and Saunders had a very funny sketch about it. Joe Brand did some stuff, but there was loads, you know. But also Joe Brand did all kinds of really yeah, loads of other stuff as well. As well. It's yeah. just, for some reason, people are enthralled to some sort of weird backlash stereotype and they want to have a go at you and, and tell yeah, you what you can't talk about. They don't They don't know that it to be the truth most of the time. They just um, think they that that's care. a thing. And I, I think it's to do with um, you... I think what happens as a stand-up is you just become more and more comfortable with who you are on stage and then at the right time you feel able to talk about about that stuff. Yeah. And about more. And I think now I'm trying to sort of... I, I always like to talk and write about relationships. and I always will, I'm sure. Like, I find them endlessly fascinating. And also I think they can be a nice framework upon which to hang general observations about yeah. how hard it is being alive. So it isn't about the relationship, it's just that that's the way into to the story kind of thing um but i really want to talk about more stuff like that and not be scared of of talking about that stuff and there are really funny things that happen um that that you should be able to talk about on stage but you have to wait for the right time for you and i used to do a bit about the bit about being sick in the shoe which isn't in the book it had to get taken out but um i was sick into my housemate's shoe on a bus um on the way back from a christmas do and then went home with a guy who I worked with. And I used to do it when I did the Comedy Zone. Can you remember? Yeah, and that you was said ten years it was like ago. A Cinderella or yeah, something. Yeah, it was like Cinderella uncut. <laughs> but then at the end, I said a really self-deprecating thing about myself, which yeah. let down the whole routine. So it was like I didn't dare to just tell the story. And be I had proud to, and... Yeah. But I think, do you feel a bit like... We almost get told over and over again as women comedians that somehow our art speaks about women's issues and two women and we can't be too women-y because we'll put off the men. And actually, it's nonsense because if you're telling the truth of your experience, 
you should be able to talk about exactly whatever you want and you'll do it well and anyone will be interested. Sure. And I mean, I just don't ever think about the fact that I'm a woman. I just do what I... I think you just do what is the most natural thing for you to talk about. And it's really other people's problem if they've if they're aware that in the same ways I'm sure that if you are blind I, I don't think that you you'd become that would be part of your life you wouldn't Chris McCausland doesn't reference you know it, all his stuff about it isn't about being blind it's just that that but even if we should say Chris McCausland for listeners who don't know him very a great uh, comedian who is uh, he's registered blind now isn't he he had a yeah, uh, yeah. and he's but a also, fantastic comic if he comic. did hour upon hour about his experiences of what it meant for him to be blind, it would still be worth seeing. People would still go. Absolutely. People would still be still up make for it Because really those funny. opinions aren't out there. Yeah, and also just because so. if someone's good, you're excited to hear what they have to say and you're excited to hear their experience of their life and that's that, you know? It's mm. funny, isn't it, that, th- that, that women are oh, always banging on about the periods and oh, male comedians are always banging on about their ambition to create a new race war. Um, anyway, the uh, so you're, I wanted to ask you. I'm just realised we've not got to that. Uh, um, that's what I always found weird. I was because it's just I suddenly had all of those old comics that used to just do all the racial division stuff, and yet the offence of of, uh, of what we were talking. What racial? What are you talking about? I don't think no. I understand what you're talking. About. No, 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 I was talking about all the old comics and the, you know, the old the 70s, comics who, who, who would then go, and I saw one of those women comics and it was disgusting. It was, the, the, <laughs> the, the, they would always say, bodily functions that should not be talked about And then they'd go, this fella lives next door to me. Yeah, yeah, not from around here. And, oh, uh, just because it is funny, isn't it? How like, yeah, their casual like violence on the stage yeah, it it's the old Lenny Bruce routine, isn't it? A book that I still, in fact, I've got yeah, two copies so. of the 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 uh, all the the um, kind of transcribed routines of Lenny Bruce, and you had that great routine about the fact that uh, sex films versus films of extreme violence. That yes. Hollywood had all the violence films, and yet all these stag movies. You know, the most violent act there is is when they place down the pillow at the end, and yeah, all of that 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 stuff. And that, yeah. that still kind of, to some extent, I suppose, remains relevant. I was fascinated by uh, Lenny Bruce. Um, yeah. Because it doesn't necessarily work anymore with stand-up, but if you listen to Lenny Bruce, if there's a fantastic collection with a, with and a book rhythms. and like six, the rhythms and and there's a oh god, what's he called? A great one of the guys who did one of the great uh, chat shows and incredible intellect as well. I forget his name now. And there's a routine where just watching the body language of, of Lenny Bruce, it doesn't matter that most of the jokes uh, can no longer be translated. You just go, this is entertainment and this is an absolute delight and a joy to watch. Um, so the question that I asked you, uh, what's it now, 21 minutes ago, um, but we never got round to, which is, could you have written this book, uh, do you think, if you hadn't found now a level where you do think, yeah, I've moved on, I have a level of, of, of security and a level of a, a, a life which, in fact, requires not being as erratic? Um, I think I could have written it at this point in my life, no matter what I was doing, but I think it just definitely needed time to go by since that period. So I don't think it would have been as, like, as broad a book if I'd written it at the time. I think I would have been a bit too caught up in all that stuff to make it funny um i think hopefully now it's as funny as it could be because i've got a bit of distance from it but i don't think i need to be in a opening inverted commas settled closing inverted commas position in order to look back now i think i i think i would have changed sufficiently within myself um right. to be able to say oh i'm not really that person anymore i don't have the same priorities um and I, 
the reason that I wrote about that period of my life as opposed to anything else in the whole world um, or any other period of my life is because um, it's uh, it's always more interesting to write about a time that w- when you were struggling or when there was yeah. a bit, uh, you know, light, definite light and shade. Yeah. And I worry now that if I had to write a book about, like, the next chapter in my life, it just would be dull. Um, it might be okay if you were a parent. Like, I'd probably be able to think of a, enough funny stuff about things like them you know, her pooing in the jumper and stomping it into the carpet with glee and stuff. But I don't think that can sustain a whole Do you book. join in stomping in with glee? Because yes, I absolutely. think the easy <laughs> 10 years ago that I knew would definitely have thought, here's a great alibi for stomping this in. I might join in fully. Oh. <laughs> and at the very least, I'll get some material out of <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> The comics curse of, oh, you're leaving me. I'll get five minutes out of this. It's almost a look to camera, isn't it? Whenever, <laughs> yeah. whenever a tragic oh, no. thing happens. Ooh. I know, I know. It's interesting when, so, you know, as you were saying, sometimes autobiographies or, or taking periods like that, uh, it's more important that there's certainly, you know, misery or a, a kind of battle but then I think of reading Roger Moore's uh, autobiographies which are really funny by the way and which I, I would highly uh, recommend the, the the final one you do get the sense that he'd literally run out of stories he goes oh. I was working with Gregory Peck and he told me this story and you go oh, hang on a minute that's like when people go as Lee Mack says oh, and you're like <laughs> uh, that doesn't make it okay to do someone else's material <laughs> oh my but, god isn't that the worst on stage where they say another comedian you'll know him he's a, he did this and you're like you... oh well they just say he you mean oh no no, no, oh, no yeah. but, sorry I basically just went what you said is right but you did <laughs> as Izzy said Mate, says. you do it as Izzy just said it's awful <laughs> people say um but that yeah. is, yes, yeah, so I would recommend if it, uh, I think, is it My Name Is My Bond? I think it is. Uh, very is, clever, very uh, clever. Which is, I think, the second volume. And also he wrote a book, or it was ghostwritten, I don't know, but about making Live, Live or Let Die, uh, Live and Let Die, which is uh, very, very um, funny. And he's, he has some lovely stories about things like Man with the Golden Gun. There's a scene in that. I'm not a huge Bond fan, but I really like Roger Moore. There's something about him, all the work. You know, I don't know. This, I, I met him once, and he just turned to me, and I can't. I never remember what the setup for the joke was, but the punchline was, "What's that up my ass, Batman?" And uh, and uh, and then uh, you go, "Thank you very much, Roger. It was a lovely joke." Uh, but the uh, I uh, wanted to ask you something. I was just going to quickly say though, there's a lovely bit where he, he there's a, a a scene where he's on a speedboat. And uh, this, this, I think they're in Thailand. I can't remember because I said I'm not really a big Bond fan. But this, this little boy is trying to sell him some things and he eventually just shoves him off the boat. <laughs> and he said he felt really bad about this because he what, kind like of worked for the Save water? the Children. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I mean, the boy survived. He's not like a murderer or anything like that. But he says, you know, <laughs> as someone who worked for Save the Children and, uh, and UNICEF and all those things, he has lovely stories about the fact that the reason he did a lot of the being an ambassador... Uh, for these things was because he could get to meet the, the most important person in the country because they'd go, brilliant, we're going to meet James Bond. Aww. And then he'd do all these photos with him. I'm James Bond, I'm James Bond. Now let's talk about your water supply and how to make it cleaner. And it's just, wow. yeah, it's, it's quite great. good that he's honest about that because they're the best books. If you're going to read a book like that, they may as well be ha- have an ability to laugh at themselves as well. I don't like it when it's just stories about, you know, and then I met. He's know. very, he's, he, yeah, there's, there's a lot of self-appreciation. It's great. I didn't. I deliberately didn't talk about like making Peep Show, or I basically talked about the early days of stand up. I talked about when I used to live with Josie and Danielle in Edinburgh, and my room had no windows and I had to sleep in Josie's bed. For I remember that window. flat. That was just yeah. just above where all the people busk really loudly. Yeah, and Danielle used to get. Yeah. Danielle used to be woken up at like seven o'clock in the morning, having had an hour's sleep. Which she... really did affect her normally sunny disposition. <laughs> 
my god <laughs> that was a funny year we had a lot of really funny years yeah we did didn't we? but yeah I never wanted to be like and then I was in makeup with David Mitchell because <laughs> that just isn't me to. but also I think if you are going to do that kind of book you have to tell people something they don't know I don't think people are satisfied with knowing that David Mitchell is a really nice guy who's very quick witted in conversation which is the truth I think they always want dirt yes yeah. and um, I haven't really got very much really... and B, I wouldn't be prepared to dish the dirt on anyone that I've worked with yeah exactly yeah I think you either care about that or you don't um I, yeah so sorry Josh no well I wanted to ask you because right one of the things that I really love about your book is it feels so authentically your voice and it's so much like having conversations with you and it, it just feels really like like you speaking it's so funny and natural and real and stuff and like when you were like when you were writing it, did you find that you would like write it in the way that you would write stand up, or like how how did you how did the, you writing this differ from you writing some stand up? I think that I found it easier to write the book than I do stand up. So with stand up for me, I I still find the trickiest bits sort of getting a routine together that isn't attached to a song or that isn't attached to an item like a letter or something that I've done that I can read out. So like a set piece and I think, or something. Yeah, and I still think I've got a way to go with that bit of stand-up and I think I need to be more brave about going on and doing Old Rope, which is a gig on brilliant gig on Monday nights in London yeah. uh, where people do new material. It's um, actually in the heart of London's busy West End. <laughs> yes, it is. Actually, not quite the heart. It's a little bit north of the heart. It, it's very close to the heart. Well, the streets are paved with smack addicts. <laughs> um, people singing old Lionel Bart songs. It's a lovely yeah. mix. I have a really old joke like that where I was like, where the streets are paved with, and then said things that weren't gold. Around the time that I was doing the, um, do you remember when I was doing Heroin Idol? Imagine if you put heroin addicts in the, why was I so obsessed with heroin? I don't remember Heroin Idol. Oh yeah, Heroin Idol was like my first five minutes. Matlock's got a big problem with drugs, Matlock has, yeah, it has. So maybe that was part of my, yeah, maybe it was like when when you're writing stuff, when you just look to your teenage years, I think, in a way. Um, we had a lovely routine about your mum explaining about how next door neighbours kept wanting to borrow the tinfoil and oh, that's uh, the right, yes. number of uh, obviously uh, roast birds that they were making, not merely on a Sunday, but across the. Mm. So if you want to know more about uh, Izzy's uh, childhood, uh, then watch Dead Man's Shoes yeah, by basically. Shane Meadows, which is Dead filmed Man's in Matlock. Yeah. That'll help. But when I was great, like when I was twenty two, twenty three, I would always do all these little plays. And whenever I did a little play on stage, it would always basically be someone going, I don't love you, I hate you, well, you've ruined my life. You know, it'd all be like really sad relationships because that was in part the modelling I had experienced and provided for myself. Do you know what I mean? And like these little things seep into your creative brain, don't they? And like, you know, and things that you think, you think, oh, I can do this in a very light-hearted way because this is, you know, and it, the reason is because you've had experience of that thing and you know people, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, exactly. you have to kind of take away the tragic elements of it and use it as, do you know what I mean? Yes, and also you want to get small and detailed to make it interesting. Yeah. So um, to, in order to make it less generalised, you go to the thing that you know well, which probably happened in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, yeah. I wonder as well that that confidence you were saying with age. I mean, it's a, it's a different confidence. There's still kind of imposter syndrome and all of those other things, mm-hmm. which I think go, but which mean that you don't have to necessarily belittle yourself or keep recalling the previous world. So I don't know. Sometimes when you get older as a stand-up, what you end up doing more on stage is trying to create the world as you want it to be. So your yes. anger is yeah. going rather than go, oh, this is my world, and and then always undermining yourself, like you were saying when you get to a punchline, you think, oh no, I look like I might be the hero of this story sure. I better make sure I tread in shit you know uh, or jump up and down on it or whatever you yeah, do yeah. Um, the... I think if you are being really serious about something like when I talk about politics or whatever I think it is still important to puncture that yes but, oh, yeah, doesn't but, it? You, yeah. but in what an I interesting mean, way not... how yeah. you how you do it Sorry to yeah. no I was just going to say that I think that the, there's a, a kind of perhaps your ambitions without realising it and your confidence in also expressing you what is really hidden in your mind mm-hmm. so that for two hours a night or whatever you can at least become the person that you think oh I think I probably this is roughly what I want to be but, but then when everyone I... else is around me and I'm in a, in a public situation it's all very embarrassing and we go into a shell that's where I want to get to though I think I've I think that's my new challenge to talk more about things that I really think and not just talk about like oh my mum wrote this letter or I still love doing songs where I play different characters and stuff like that and that'll never go but I, the thing that I really want to do next with stand-up is talk more about I don't know, the fact that I worry about my health and the fact that, um, you know, maybe even talk about my dad dying, which is five years ago. And I don't know if I... I only want to do it if I can think of some funny stuff. But I think I just want now to be a bit more brave at looking at... And, you know, what's the worst possible scenario that I do it once and I think actually doesn't feel quite right or isn't funny enough? But with the book, strangely enough, I think perhaps because I wasn't on stage, I found it much easier and it felt more natural to talk about those more serious things. Um... I just found it more, um, it felt more natural to explore like those themes and not have to think the whole time about when the next laugh was coming. So I think with the book, it just sort of spreads out and you feel like the reader gets to know you and um, that you earn the right to talk a bit more about, you know, um, the difficulties of life and the fact that as humans, we are sort of often floundering around going... Am I doing it right? I don't know. Yeah, you know there's so many different trying. ways of saying that. But. but also, do you feel? Because I feel like with stand stand up helps you develop your own internal creative judgment, because you have to just rely on that voice for timing. You have to rely on that voice for. I think this is funny. I believe this is funny. And so I expect, like maybe when you're writing prose, it's that same judgment that says no, write whatever you want here. Yeah, but I also think that the the skills that you develop as a stand up just come into everything without you realizing it. So I think that once you trust that you know I've been doing this for 13 years that 14 years that you've sort of got enough experience to go I trust that I can write jokes um therefore let I'll relax a bit and I'll see what comes out and I can always take it out in the next draft and that's what I really enjoyed about it having the freedom to go I'll put it all down if I read it back and think it's a bit self-indulgent or whatever I can just sort of yeah the I was interested actually when you said because your book of course is, is dedicated to your dad and uh, I was thinking that the, the, the horror book, which both you and Josie are in as well, Dead Funny Encore, uh, I dedicated it to my mum, which I thought was kind of weird because it's filled with really strange stories. And thank heavens Alice Lowe's story 
pedo isn't the first story in the book after I had an <laughs> argument with the editor I said it's a very good story but I'm not sure it's the opener and uh, but I, and I, I dedicate to my mum because she, she died about uh, well when I was editing the book but it was mainly I, I made sure it was a specific dedication uh, because it was because I think she knew that I was stealing money from her purse to buy horror books down at Chorleywood Bookshop and never said anything so my Mayflower book of black magic stories uh, there and I just sneak in I think she'll never know also, I'd like to apologise to uh, both David and Simon Page that when I went round to your house in Chorleywood, I did start stealing some of your Doctor Who books. I don't know why I went through that particular you phase. little klepto. Yeah, I had, a, I had a very difficult childhood, and I will be covering that in the third book. <laughs> so, uh, you let's have a look at you. You have one book which is really rain damaged. It's it's from the bath. So this has been <laughs> dropped in the bath about three times. It's Jane Eyre, and it's um. That's what it looks so. It's amazing how much Jane Eyre expands when filled with water because that, that looks enormous. The I'm a bit embarrassed because I think you've brought two books that I've got a third of the way through <laughs> and and not finished, not because they're not brilliant, but because I'm a feckless individual. It's like Jane Eyre, I remember I was really into it and I read Wide Sargasso Sea before I read it, so I was really like, I have to read this because, you know, I've read the reboot or whatever. <laughs> and... Um, uh, Another reference to Gene Reese, of course, as is customary in the podcast. But um, yeah, we haven't had any James Baldwin ones yet. We'll have to do that on the next issue. I know. So, when did you first read this book? So, I read this actually um, a really, really long time ago when I was at school, and then I read it again about uh, four or five months ago. Um, and I think it's really interesting when you do that when you've read a book when you were a teenager then you read it again because I actually couldn't remember it very well and got it mixed up with Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen I think when there's a Jane involved I sometimes <laughs> get a bit confused <laughs> um, but um, I, I I love it because I, I feel like um, with, with books like this that are like classics yeah. I think you often feel like you should really like them and you should really read them oh and you forget and, they're actually good yeah and yeah. you forget it's a bit like when a band goes electric in you know in the sort of metaphorical sense you sort of go hang on I knew them when they were brilliant and now I'm told that I must like it and it's like no it is really brilliant and I think this is the second time around I wasn't being asked to read it at school and I just think um, it's not like something that I'd ever write which is really important um, to read the books that you wouldn't ever write yeah um and I think that the character of Jane, I just really slowly fell in love with and, and felt like she was so tough. and um, So miserable at the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, it's just you know, the, the awful, just, the school and, and yeah. It's, oh, it's yes, a beautiful, she's I, a little I, girl. It's, I yeah. always forget that. I got through, I got... Her best friend. Helen I mean, that, that's an interesting arms, thing. There's a, such yeah, a regular so thing cool. where that happens yeah. in, in stories. Uh, the 19th and 20th century which is somewhere in the narrative there will be a point where if you have a child character their best friend will die because that was going on all the time and uh, oh what happened to Tommy he went away Uh, Tommy's not coming back and then always the teacher or whatever just just goes Tommy won't be coming back Tommy's died and you go whoa this is yeah I know it's funny with I'd sort of forgotten that but like so many books in the 19th century as well they have about 50 pages where they're like Listen, I'll just get you up to speed from when they were born to when they're 19 and this really starts, you know? Yeah, no, exactly, yes. It's like, yeah, it's almost like a montage. Yeah. And then they go... It's like the first minute of Up. Yeah. That's what that'll be. See, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Where when you think that that whole idea of how much of our personality and how much of our potential is created by our experiences is... That that book we were talking about a few months ago, uh, uh, The Neon Bible, 
uh, yes. by uh, John Kennedy O'Toole, which is his yes. only other book and was written before Confederacy of Dunces and just deals with basically a, a, the whole child life getting into adulthood. And then I won't, won't say what happens at the end, but that and just these little impressions. And you realise that all of these small impressions are the imprints on the, the, the mind of a child, which will turn them into the adult that they are. Or, you know, they may well be able to escape from some of them. But even if they escape, it's still that escape is still to do with the initial thing, isn't it? Mm. Um I think also like the romance in it is so well written and that you really feel I felt like I was there in the room and it felt sort of very very much more alive to me than it did the first time I think just because uh, I'm I'm older now and the same with Catch 22 I want to read again now because Catch 22 is the first book that I ever remember laughing out loud at and I was 16 I was at Manchester Youth Theatre and I read it really quickly and I still remember chapter titles and lines from it and just absolutely adored it. And I want to read that again now just to see like how I feel about it now, I guess. And cause it was such a sort of big book for me. I so- want to read Jane Eyre again because I actually did. I never got into Jane Austen books. I really tried with me those. Either. Whereas the Brontes, though I didn't like Villette very much. That seemed a drag. I tried to read Villette and I couldn't. Um, yeah. The thing for me with the Brontes is, the Brontes are tough and vital and full of life. And people that love Jane Austen are like, you're getting her wrong, she's not a prig, she's very funny, she's very cool, but she's a different personality type. And I get that, like, I don't want to sit and slag her off, even though I read Mansfield Park at at school and I hated it. And I, I think I just, I think it's maybe about patience, I think it's maybe about style of personality, I think women who are maybe not not just women people who are maybe more like i want everything in advance and i'm sensorial and fast like the brontes and then people who are a bit more like i'm a shrewd customer like jane austen i think it's maybe a personality type thing or something like yeah, they so all people like the brontes together. are more like like uh, say a tv show like the professionals or the sweeney uh sure the sweeney yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah cats versus dogs you know dogs like the brontes Cats like Austin. That's right. what we should now have. Is that this? This should become the new cliche. Yet another comedian going on about the difference between Bronte fans and Austin fans. <laughs> I, I had to boo them off eventually. But I do feel it. I do think it maybe is something. I mean, I'm I'm perfectly happy to be proven wrong. But like, we're going to get loads yeah, of emails so now. People I, going, I actually enjoy both of them very much. Yeah. But Wuthering Heights for me, I remember reading it and thinking, bloody hell, the energy in this yeah. book is so powerful. Mm. It's right here and. To know that it was a young woman who wrote it, like, trapped in her surroundings a bit, and so, oh, you can just feel it. it. Do you think it makes a difference that you know that they had a difficult life and that they died young? Um, Maybe, because that is definitely the sort of thing I'm attracted to as a reader. I think it's the isolation. I think it's what you just said there, which is Wuthering Heights and and Jane Eyre, that they're, you know, whereas... The, the, with Jane Austen they're in a kind of a society even though that might become a suffocating society whereas mm. these are people who seem al- alone the, and battling wild, with, with these it? bizarre yeah. personalities these contra- this is there interesting rules. the yeah. edition you've got here the waterlogged edition has got uh, a piece by uh, Elaine Showalter I never quite know how to pronounce her name at the end she wrote a brilliant book called Histories which is kind of about the history of hysteria and has done a lot of stuff, but just oh, the opening wow, line. Oh, wow, that sounds interesting. In Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte attempts to depict a complete female identity and she expresses her heroine's consciousness through an extraordinary range of narrative devices. Psychological development and the dramas of her inner life are represented in dreams, hallucinations, visions, surrealistic paintings and masquerades. Why wouldn't you want to read it? No, exactly. Mm. And I never, ever want to watch any TV 
adaptations or films of any of these because sometimes they just they gut them don't well actually that's a silly opinion to have because I'm like they gut them I haven't really watched any and I don't really I bet there's some fucking wonderful the the, the version with uh, Orson Welles and I can't remember with it can you Trent can you just double check who was I can't remember now who played uh, Jane Eyre it wasn't uh, Olivia de Havilland but that is because my wife she's very keen on the TV adaptation with Timothy Dalton as Mr Rochester but I believe that Orson Welles Mr Rochester is uh, another very uh, forbidding and foreboding character you see I don't even know there's more than one adaptation I just close my ears to it so I think we should all read a Jane Austen now and see if we can get on with it like we should all read Pride and Prejudice and then I bet you maybe we'll all come back and be like, actually, I loved it. Your next book is? My next book is Ghost Children by Sue Townsend. So I'd only read Adrian Mole of hers until sort of... Oh, can you pick up those? Letters? Joan Fontaine. Okay. Um, reasonably, very recently, actually. I think Adrian Mole's like uh, an incredible character yes. and again it's it was so one of funny. the first books that really made me laugh yeah yeah um and what is it about diary books because diary of a nobody is another and there's another i'm trying to think there's three uh, what's the third well there's one? bridget jones's diary which right. i know that you know now feels a bit like it, it feels really mainstream doesn't it and kind of but to me because it was, but it's a only because time success. has gone by i think uh, when i initially read bridget jones's diary when it came out i found it absolutely hilarious it's just, well, i remember chris addison was obsessed it used to be in the independent didn't it it was a regular column in the independent yes. he was absolutely obsessed by it yeah i think it's you know helen fielding can really really write i think it's yeah. just that curse really of what funny. happens when something gets very very well, but I the really... diary format seems to be generally if you can think of really strong protagonist it's a lovely um, device because you can, they can voice everything that they're thinking, but they can also describe situations in which they've been uncomfortable or, you know, you've actually got loads of places that you can go with it. Yeah. It also allows someone to be the full idiot. Yeah. So yes. in, in both Diary of Adrian Mole, where his pretensions, his foolishness, his, you know, desire for Pandora, you know, Bert and his... I was eating some beetroot in bed the other day, on top of the bed. I was, like, doing work. But nevertheless, I thought, it's it's a, it's a small journey, isn't it, to becoming Bert Bert Baxter. There? Yeah. It's such a... That, isn't it amazing how visceral that image is, that that's the first thing you thought of when you were eating beetroot? That, like, that those characters... Cause, because again, I, I reread Adrian Mole recently, the first and second books, and I was like, I remember, like, I, it, it was like I was, you know, like when you have you ever been back to a house that you used to live in, and you remember the feel of the doorknobs and the way the door opens, and and it's like it was always there. But w- when I reread Adrian Mole, I was like, God, it's like I feel like I've come home. Like yeah. I, I first read Adrian Mole when I was about thirteen and thought it was a real diary for a bit because I found it at my cousin's. And also, and I was like, who's this Sue Townsend? <laughs> you don't realise that they're taking the piss as well. Like I remember reading it and just sort of. Not fully appreciating that he's a yeah. bit ridiculous, you know, just being like, wow, yeah. No, yeah. because you're like that, aren't yeah. you, at the time? And that's, that's the beauty of it, that you can read it and be like him and appreciate it. And then you can read it and be like, oh, yeah, he is supposed to be, you know, he is a bit pretentious and completely lovable, but, you know, has all these sort of, like, his poetry isn't great and he yeah. dreams of being on Radio 4 and all that. And at the time, you're writing that that terrible poetry too. So. I've never gone back to I've never read the... I've, I've read the first two and I think maybe the third one, but then I never went back because you get worried. Because it's like, a bit like now at the age I am, Not you're not either of you at that age yet, but I realise that there's a certain age you get to where you can see why some people become really bitter because all the dreams that they had when they were, you know, lying in a bed and you're sharing room with all your mates or whatever and you're, you're talking about what you're going to be. 
it's about when you get to your mid forties, I suppose, where people can look back and go, "Oh, I remember my dreams, and they never happened." And you saw, which of, I don't feel, yeah. by the way, personally. Because you're living your dreams. Yeah, really, things are great, right? you know. So I'm very, and then that's when I realised, looking around at people that some of the people that I know, and I think, oh yeah, there's that bit where you, you at this point, reality strikes. When you're 18, when you're 16, when you're 13, whatever. Yeah, I'm imagining what's going to be, and then yes, it's kind of. I've, I've never wanted to because I thought, oh god, now he's middle aged. And things haven't sure. turned out. and oh. Yeah, you don't want to. But also, I think how old you are really affects what types of books you want to read. Like, I think there's a reason that people tend to absolutely love Catcher in the Rye when they're about 18, hmm. kind of, well, you know, young, basically. That's another great example of what you were saying, the change in how you perceive someone, yeah. is when I read Catcher in the Rye when I was uh, a, t- a teenager, he's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah. And when I read it again a couple of years ago and you go, do you know what, I'm not so sure about this guy, actually. I'm a little bit worried. It's like suddenly sympathising with the teachers. You're like, oh, God, it must be really hard for these bloody teachers. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what Morrissey did, didn't he? In Meet His Murder, you have Headmaster's Ritual, in which he's on the side of the pupils. By Southport Grammar, barely ten years later, he's got the teachers who are afraid of the pupils. He's totally changed sides. Oh, Come on, Mars. And Mars. as a vegetarian, I would like to say... <laughs> yeah. um, just but then decided... something like stoner which i think is one of the best books i've ever read covers a whole life so you don't i've read that. stoner so who's like lanark as well it's like that stoner i can't remember who wrote it but it's someone with quite an ordinary name like john williams or something and i'm sure we'll get people saying how could you not remember it so wait trent looked oh, it up yeah, for us John Williams, oh, well done. Oh, nice. Well, that from nowhere. So then it was uh, by this guy called John Williams, and it's about um, a man, uh, and it's about his life. Uh, and it, it, It's one of the most beautiful things of any art form I've ever encountered. It's so delicately done, and it's um, uh, just about um, how, I guess, the, the frailties of life and um, how, how fragile relationships are and um, how you can really fuck up and there is some redemption and I think most books are about that but it seems to be very purely about that like it for me it just it was like it was like it was breathing the moment I opened it and it's so sad at the end it's yeah I really really recommend it out of anything um it's so good so, so what was yeah. we haven't really talked about the oh, actual ghost book children this. so yeah um so ghost children is so if you've read Adrian Mole and you've only read Adrian Mole like me, you might think Sue Townsend is perhaps like just a comic writer and a brilliant one at that. But Ghost Children is um, quite brutal and about really big stuff. Like it's basically about a couple called Christopher and Angela who um, meet again having had a baby terminated when they were a lot younger and um, it's about them trying to repair their relationship, really. And she's in another relationship with a man called Gregory, who's just described brilliantly. Um, he likes everything in order and um, he's quite conceited, but you can also see his vulnerability. I think she does that very well, that characters can have some dislikable qualities, but you can also like other bits of them, which I think is pretty hard to do. Um, and all the characters... I mean, there's a character in it who's a crack addict... Who are called Crackle, who is such a, um, a a horrible person that even he at the very end does something that is not exactly kind, but shows that you see like a tiny ray of sunshine coming through, um, like the greyness that is his personality basically. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's just really about two people who are 
who fall back in love with each other but it has all these quite brutal heavy topics going on in the background i thought it's really really good there's something that sue townsend was one of those characters that just so lovely that everything you read about her and her battles as well her, you know her, her, her battle with with losing her sight and things like that, and and the way that she wrote about that and yeah. one of the great another of the uh, well Midlands greats another of the Leicester greats yeah, Colin absolutely. Wilson Joe Orton Sue Townsend she wrote secretly for 20 years like I didn't know about her life story about the fact you know she left school really young and there's also she... something that she she witnessed a murder from the I think she was at the top of a tree uh, with another school friend and they witnessed the murder of a child oh when my. she was very oh. young and wasn't believed Oh and I think God. that really affected her because to not and the murder was solved and a person was caught and everything like that, but um, they weren't believed and I think that 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 really sort of affected her childhood basically. Like there's all this stuff that I found out about her, um, and she did, as you say, have have struggles in her life. She had struggles with her health. She didn't have a straightforward life at all. Um, yeah, yeah, came up with all this amazing literature basically and some of the funniest stuff written for so we've, we've run out of time so we just have very quickly the final book that you've uh so station 11 have you read this i haven't read station I'll, 11. I'll lend it to you it's so good it, so it's unlike anything that i've ever read it was recommended to me it's about um i love taking the books off the people so i yeah, can examine go for them it. yeah and then they can't hurry all of them the by the way are the very cards. damaged <laughs> they've all been dropped in the bar yeah, they have all been dropped in the bar <laughs> they will look properly yeah. read so they've all been put in a rucksack actually. on the way to a gig haven't they yeah, Ghost Children hasn't been dropped in the bath because I read it in two days, Ghost Children. I didn't wow. read it in the bath. but um, I want to read it. You can absolutely borrow all of these. Station Eleven was dropped in we the bath. We only do this times. show because then we take all the books that people bring in off them. We and we run them. a lovely little stall, don't we? <laughs> yeah, <there you laughs> we have a lovely Mark bonfire. So this is uh, sta- Station Eleven. Uh, Anne Pratchett, author of uh, Bel Canto, says, uh, So compelling, so fearlessly imagined that I couldn't have put it down for anything. Uh, oh, that's a good line. What was, it, what was lost in the collapse? Almost everything, almost everyone. But there is still such beauty, and it's set in Toronto. It's beautiful. It's it's. I'm sure it will be made into a film. And actually, this is one that I would watch. But um, it's about an apocalypse, basically, and um, the survivors. And there's a Shakespearean troupe who go around performing. Um, plays and stuff and um that's and then there are lots of politics within that group and they're kind of on their way to find other survivors and there are lots of different things going on at the same time and they're beautifully interlinked and yeah honestly it's it's really spectacular book and it's such an ambitious book like it's it's really big the moment it starts the way it describes the landscape and it's a really brave book i think to deal with such a big thing happening and the imagination of the writer. It's by Emily Sunjan Mandel, who I see. There's my favourite things are coming of age novels yeah. and uh, post-apocalypse novels, which I think is why I kind of really like How I Live Now by Meg Rossoff, because has a little bit of both of those. Yeah. Um, we've run out of time. Uh, I'm just going to quickly recommend something, which is not a book, but uh, by someone who has written a book. Barry Crimmins is oh, uh, wow. coming over to the UK. Barry Crimmins, uh, a, a very very interesting campaigner and comedian. Uh, from the US a, a wonderful film uh, directed by Bobcat Goldthwait uh, documentary about his life 
which is uh, I'm sure we've probably plugged it before on the show it really is worth seeing because it is about many many things far beyond the act of doing comedy and Barry oh. Crimmins is going to be at Leicester Square Theatre I think it's about the third weekend of September and he used to work uh, with, with Billy Bragg and um, so I just wanted he's to plug so that rather than a book he's so oh my god he's astonishing and if you tweet about him he replies to you on Twitter and it's very exciting oh I love oh, how wow. shallow your depth is um, the uh, so thank you very much Izzy City thank you've you. written a wonderful book and thank you very much for recommendations uh, thanks very much Josie Long thank you sorry I was a bit interrupted today you I? weren't interrupted at all it's what we do it's it fine what we do. thanks very much for listening and uh, thank you very much to everyone who has also uh, contributed to us and uh, this uh, keeps us going we're only now uh, $120 from hitting the actual target that we're, that we're really aiming for so uh, if you do enjoy this and you have a spare dollar because uh, it is done in dollars Patreon that's how it works so that's also spare, good for that, us that would be lovely but also obviously we're going to keep kingdom. it's always going to be free to act access it and we're going to also for the patreon people and everyone else uh put out more that are totally free so even if you do actually uh subscribe to us wherever you want to say pledge to us uh there's going to be more and more kind of freebie ones um including one coming up with uh mark watson then again it might have been who knows we all know about this uh so thank you very much to those who uh just a few of the names of the people who've supported us for our patreon are scurra I think just Scurra or Scurra. Uh, Rachel Worrell, uh, Sarah Mann, Aww. General Lucifer, Kieran Richards, Richard Haydock, Alex Jackson, Josh Tucker, Andy Pearson, Thomas Burns Scully, Sean Dawson, Alexander Gray, Charlie Miller, and Paul McAllister. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast. It means masses to us. And um, oh, and this is begging, definitely. But if you do like it and you want to write us an iTunes thing, please do. And sorry to beg. I know. Oh, it's no, we're not begging. If, you, if you've got time, you want to rate or rate or review us uh, on iTunes. That is uh, apparently useful to us. So thank you very much for listening. And Josie Long can currently be seen in A Business of Murder at the Yvonne Arno Theatre. <laughs> As an understudy. You'll see her. She always poisons them in the end. (laughs) Thanks very much for listening. If you would like to know where you can find the other book shambles or where you can find pretty comprehensive reading lists and sort of references uh, to things that we have mentioned in the podcast, you can go to cosmicgenome.com forward slash shambles. I got it right which is so good. I thought I was going to get it wrong and Robin's little face was very tense but then he gave me a nice smile so it was all all right. But please do. um, Trent, who produces our podcast, is very diligent and very kind in keeping track of all the things that are recommended. So have a look because, yeah, it will see you in good stead if you're buying presents for an old maiden aunt. Or a young gadabout cavalier. Or and a gadabout cavalier maiden aunt. Yes, why shouldn't there be? There's nothing better than a big hat in a bath chair with a waxed moustache. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.